Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. My name is Matt Johnson. I'm the youth pastor here, and I am so excited for the privilege of being able to share with you from God's Word this morning. Um, So I'm going to open us up in prayer. Uh, Dear Father, thank you for this day. Um, Thank you for this opportunity to share. And Father, I pray your Spirit would speak through me, what you've been teaching me this week, and I pray that your Spirit would be teaching us all this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So this summer we're going through a series um, on our favorite Bible stories. And so I get to go this week, and then next week Rich is going, then we've got some guest speakers coming in. But when Dan sent me the email and said I would be preaching this morning and said, what's your favorite Bible story, um, it took like just like a split second for me to say, I'm going to talk about crossing the Red Sea. And I am so excited because this is just, it's one of the stories I've spent the most time studying. While I was at Moody, I helped a professor make an assignment that all the students do now, and so I get to every year see that. But I've spent a lot of time in this text, and I love it. And I especially love it because it's a text from the Old Testament. And I think a lot of times as Christians, we, we look and we say, this is about all the Bible we need. And so I love being in the Old Testament to just remind us of just the amazing stories from there and how they apply to our lives today. And this is actually a taste of what we're doing um, most Sunday mornings, except the first Sunday of the month. Um, The students during the greeting time, they get dismissed and they go back. And we're spending time right now learning just skills for how to read the Bible, how to better understand it, and really how to just spend time in the Word daily. And so with the students and students who are here, you're going to hear all those themes we've been talking about of reading larger chunks. Don't focus on a verse, focus on a story. And whenever you see quotation marks, listen to what the person's saying. And whenever you see repetition, why is the author repeating himself? And so, so we're going to go over all that today as we talk about this story of recrossing the Red Sea. It's recrossing because I, I'm hoping that I'll be able to draw out some new things from the text that you've never or maybe have never seen before. And so to start, um, we're going we're gonna to watch a, a video. Um, you guys have maybe all seen the movie The Prince of Egypt. It's the animated movie that uh, Val Kilmer voices both, both Moses and God. So he had a pretty big role. But it's the, the story of Moses from birth until Israel crosses the Red Sea. It's the first non-animated Disney movie that made over 200 million worldwide. It's a, it was a very big deal when it came out. Um, and it, it's, the song we're going to watch right now takes place, the plagues have just finished, and Pharaoh finally says to the people, you may go. And so we're, there's an Academy Award winning song here, so I hope you enjoy it. There can be
I love that movie. I, I love that scene. I've probably watched this like 15 times this week as I've been preparing. And I get goosebumps every time when Moses holds up his staff and then you hear the whole chorus of people singing. And it's so amazing. I love that scene. Um, but So my parents are here and uh, this morning and they can attest to this. I am the worst person to watch movies with. And uh, I'm, I'm about to kind of spoil this moment. Um, so there's this scene right at the end where you see the water and you see, it's a little dark, but you see that's Moses in the center there and Aaron and Miriam and Moses' wife and they're all looking and they see the sea and they smile. And it's this exciting moment and it's, we know what's about to happen. The, God's going to part the Red Sea, but, but putting ourselves in the minds of the Israelites, they don't know what's going to happen. And so why are they smiling? The question I have is, where is the boat? Um, these people are walking up to a sea with close to 2 million people with no way to walk across it, and they're happy for some reason. Um, but that, the, what I want to tell you this morning is a lot of these stories from the Old Testament, we've either heard in Sunday school, or we, we've seen a movie for, or we've, we've heard it a long time ago, and we start to say, okay, that's how that story went. But I, I want to ask you, how well do we know these classic Bible stories? And I'm going to walk you through the text today, and I hope as we walk through it, you'll see some new things. And I hope, the question I'm hoping to answer with this story is, what do God's past triumphs have to do with our current problems? What do God's past triumphs have to do with our current problems? Why do we need the Old Testament? If it's pointing to Jesus, why do we even need to read it anymore? And I'm hoping to answer that question. And so I'm going to just go through the text with you right now. So... Before I jump in, I do need to give you a little reminder of what's happened in Exodus so far, because we haven't done a series on this right now. So um, the book of Exodus starts with a genealogy where you kind of tie the book of Genesis into Exodus. And so we, we remember it's the sons of Jacob. And then we start to see that they are multiplying rapidly. And in the midst of this multiplication, the Egyptians are looking around and they're like, wow, this people that we've given this small amount of land, um, they are... They are rapidly growing. They're eventually going to overtake us. And so the Egyptians enslave the Israelites. And then after they enslave them, they start oppressing them. And in that oppression, the Israelites grow even more. And it's in the midst of this growth that Pharaoh realizes if we don't do something, we're in trouble. And, and his solution is, is gruesome. He decides we need to kill all the Hebrew babies, all the male babies. And so he commands the Hebrew midwives to do it. And of course, the Hebrew midwives don't want to do that, and they don't, and the Lord honors them. But So Pharaoh tells his people, and the Egyptians take part in this infest... The Egyptians take part in killing and just murdering all of these Hebrew male babies. And they're doing this because they want to make sure the Hebrews can't rise up against them. And so, so it's in the midst of this that Moses is born. And you all know the story. He's put in a little basket, and he's floated out on the Nile, and then Pharaoh's daughter finds him. And in, he was supposed to be thrown in and killed, but in a reversal, he's being raised by Pharaoh's own daughter. And, and then when Moses grows, uh, Mo, as Moses becomes a man, uh, he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And he decides, I need to save that Hebrew. Moses, on his own, tries to free one of his people, and he winds up killing the Egyptian, and he winds up having to leave. He, so his, his try at freeing a Hebrew on his own, just one, leads in failure to the point of he has to flee. And of course, when he goes, he gets married, he meets his father-in-law, and then he, is, he meets God in the burning bush. 
And in that story, the, the story kind of goes, God tells Moses, all right, I, I'm going to send you to Egypt. You're going to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And then Moses' response is, no. And then God says, no, really, Moses, you're going to go do this. And Moses is like, I'm, I'm not very good with words. And then Moses says, your brother Aaron's going to go with you, but you are going to go. And then Moses finally says, okay. And so there's this whole scene that plays out, and then Moses comes back, and his brother Aaron joins him, and they go and they tell Pharaoh, let my people go. You know the famous Charlton Heston, let my people go, you know. Um, my dad was a rapping Moses in VBS, and so he, he was good at that. But, um, so Mo- Moses and Aaron say that, but they don't just say, let my people go. The request that they make is never, let my people go, let these slaves be free. The request is always a much simpler one. Let my people go three days' journey into the wilderness that they may worship and make sacrifices to me. That's the Lord's request. It's it's saying, let them go and worship their God in the way that they choose. And um, Pharaoh, of course, says no. And in this first interaction with Moses, Pharaoh responds with brutality. He says, all right, if, if they think they need to go, that means there's a bigger problem here. That means that they're not doing enough. And so he takes away their straw and says they're making bricks. And he says, you're going to have to make the same amount of brick you were making before, but I'm going to take away some of your resources. If you don't make the same amount, I will be beating you. And so Pharaoh and the Egyptians come down even harder. And, and then God tells Moses, it's okay. We're going to see something's about to happen. And so the, we see the ten plagues. And each plague, there's, there's an important play happening in this where, where God is contending with Pharaoh, but not really God contending with Pharaoh because God doesn't need to contend with Pharaoh, but Pharaoh is contending with God. And so Moses comes and they, Moses and Aaron bring about a plague and then Pharaoh's response is, okay, you can go. And then Moses prays and the plague goes away and then Pharaoh goes, psych. And it goes back and forth and back and forth. And Pharaoh, who is the Egyptians' embodiment of their... He's, he's the lead god for the Egyptians. He's the human form of their lead god, or that's what they believe. He thinks he's tricking the god of Israel this whole time. He thinks he's matching up. And eventually it comes to the point of the Passover, where the Israelites, they slaughter the lambs and they put the blood on the doorposts. And it's in this moment where the firstborn of Egypt are killed, all, all of their firstborn. And, and this is gruesome, but it's also, it's justice because the Egyptians had slaughtered these Hebrew male babies. And now God brings about justice in this. And it's in this moment that Pharaoh finally says to them, you may go. And so that's the point of the text we're coming to. And, and so when Pharaoh finally let the people go, he did not lead them by way of Philistia, which would have been just kind of right straight to the promised land. And he did this for a reason. There, there would have been a really simple, quick way for them to get to the promised land, but they don't do that. And the reason for that is, for God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. If they see trials, they may decide, you know what, slavery is better than this. And so God decides, instead of taking them up the route that they would expect, he's going to take them south. And the, Egypt, or the Israelites, when they leave, you know, in that we, we watch that movie and everyone's happy and singing, but when they actually leave, they leave armed for battle. And these aren't, these aren't men in armor armed for battle. This is a slave group. This is hundreds of thousands of people that probably have sticks or like tools. They have whatever they can find for battle. This isn't an army leaving. It's a multitude. It's a great host of people. But, but they're not really ready for war. 
And so God leads them south. And, and as they're going south, there's, there's a promise that we're reminded of. Um, Joseph's bones, it, the text says that uh, Moses grabs Joseph's bones. And, and Joseph had said before he passed away, God will surely come to your aid. And then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. Joseph, of course, died in Egypt. And so this is just a reminder to us as we're starting this story that God had promised that he'd take them out. And this promise extends back into Genesis 400 years ago when Joseph passed away. And so God takes them south and he leads them by the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And they take this route just kind of straight south. And then at the start of Exodus 14, God speaks to Moses and says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Haharat between Migdal and the sea. And they are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal-Zephon. So this route that he has them on, they've gone straight south or, or pretty near straight south. He now says, all right, turn around. We're going to go back north, and then you're going to go into this encampment by the sea. And so for the Israelite people, this was probably a pretty curious thing, that they, they've been walking this way for a while, and then all of a sudden God's like, okay, turn around and let's head back towards Egypt, whatever. Um, but, but God is doing something here, and God, God tells Moses what his plan is. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around in the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. Now, it's, it's funny in this text, it doesn't say, oh, I didn't click forward, there we go. Um, it doesn't say, and the Israelites will know that I am the Lord. It says the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. There's something divine happening here, and, and the Israelites are a small part of this, but they're really just, God is just moving them around, and they're just following. And, and so in the next thing we see in the text is now we go back to Pharaoh and his officials. And, and Pharaoh has heard that the Israelites and his officials have heard that they're wandering. They, they went south for a while, and then they turned around and came back north. It, it looks like they're lost. They've been gone many days at this point by our best estimates. Day and night, they're following the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire and so pharaoh hears this and pharaoh and his officials they turn to each other and they say what have we done we have let the israelites go and have lost their services and so so pharaoh and the officials they they look and they they were expecting the israelites to go on this three-day journey to go worship to go make sacrifices and then to come back and now they're hearing they're gone and they're saying, what is going on? We're losing our slave labor. We're losing these people that, that we should be in charge of. And so Pharaoh calls out and he, he has his people, they prepare his chariots. And then they prepare the chariots for all of the, the whole army. All of their chariots are prepared. And then not just those chariots, there's, they have these 600 like elite, they were like the black op chariot people. They, God says, or not God, Moses says, bring them too. And then he says, you know what? Let's bring the whole army. They, they do the nuclear option here. They bring everything they have, the entire might of Egypt. One of the top empires of that day, they bring their entire force and they go to pursue the Israelites. And so the Israelites are encamped facing the water in the desert and there comes a time where they, the Lord has hardened Pharaoh's heart and he's pursuing them and so they're encamped facing the Red Sea and they look back and in the distance, uh, they can see Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen and his army. Now, in all the movies, this is something that happens very quickly where they see like Pharaoh and his horsemen, they come up over a hill. 
But this is a gigantic army. They would have heard them. They would have seen a cloud of dust coming in the wake of this army. And so the Israelites see this and they're, they're thinking, what do we do? And remember, God had said, lest they see war and want to return to Egypt. Well, now what do they do? Because these are the Egyptians that have come for them. And, and so the Israelites say to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to, to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. So the Israelites are realizing right now that, that we can't even return to slavery because the people who are coming to get us are the people that we could have gone back and, or we would have wanted to return to. And so God has brought this about. So the first time the people see war, the, the people that are bringing it to them are the people that are probably going to wipe them out. And they were their best hope of escape to go back to their old lives. And so God has brought this about. And then, and then Moses speaks to the people. Moses speaks to the people. Moses, who said earlier in the text, he, he says, Lord, I can't speak. Send someone else. It's not me. I'm not eloquent with my words. Moses says to the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. This is the same Moses that didn't want to go back to Egypt in the first place because he's not eloquent with his words. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. And so then Moses turns to God and God says to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. There's repetition happening here. God is going to gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians will know that he is the Lord. And so that's the promise that God gives to Moses in that moment and to the Israelites. And so then we have this scene where the Israelites are facing the sea and the pillar of fire or the pillar of cloud, depending on day or night, it goes from in front of them and it goes behind them. And it protects them from the Egyptians as the Egyptians are coming down with their whole force. But it doesn't just protect the Israelites from the Egyptians. The text said, or says, neither can approach the, or neither could approach the other. The, when God does this, when he puts that pillar there, it doesn't just stop the Egyptians and doesn't buy time for the Israelites, it also protects the Israelites from going back into that former life that on their own they would go to. They, they want to surrender. They're ready. They're, we want to go back to Egypt, but God's not even giving them that option anymore because God is going to show them something miraculous. And so the, the pillar of fire moves behind them. They're all standing there. And then Moses raises his staff over the sea and he stretches out his arm and in all the movies, um, I have to go back to the movies, they, what happens is Moses raises his staff, or in some of them he puts it in the ground, and the water starts to divide out. But the, the text said, and an east wind blew. And they're facing east, and when the text says an east wind blew, and it's, it blew, it's coming at them, because it would be a wind from the east going west. And so the people are standing there. Moses raises his staff, and all of a sudden they're hit by a blast of air. And in that blast, all of a the sudden, they can see a path emerge from the other side. The first time they see the path, they can see all the way through the Red Sea, all the way to their deliverance. 
And so the people start to walk forward. And they walk forward all night. There's all their livestock, all their possessions, everything they own, they all walk through on dry ground. There's no struggle. It's dry ground. They're just walking and walking. And, and in the morning watch, as the people are finally finishing up walking through, um, the pillar of cloud and the, or the pillar of fire, whichever it is at the time, uh, it just leaves. And so now the Egyptians are standing there. They, they have no idea what's been happening. And now all of a sudden they see this path through the Red Sea. And it's important to note here that the water in that day, in that time, would have been, it's, they called it the Tahome, it was the chaos. Uh, they, the belief of all the mythologies was that through the water is where all the gods came from. The water could not be controlled, it could not be contained. And so the Egyptians, who all of their gods sprung forth from the water, they're looking and they're seeing the water has been parted, and, and they still, they charge into the midst of it. And the Egyptians charge in, and it's while they're charging in that the Lord looks down on them, and he causes them to go into a panic. And their chariots begin to break. The wheels fall off. The, the horses panic. The, the men panic. The, the entire army of Pharaoh, the Egyptians, their horsemen, their chariots, the army, all of it is stuck in the water. And all of a sudden, they go from charging in, bent on bringing back these slaves and on exacting vengeance. They're all of a sudden stuck. And they're looking around, and... They're in the midst of this water that's standing. The, the text goes on to say the water looked like it was standing at attention for the Israelites as they walked through. They're standing in these walls of water on either side. And all of a the sudden they realize this might not have been a good idea. And, and in fact, the, the Egyptians who have thought from the start that their gods could contend with the, is, the God of Israel, they finally understand. The Egyptians say, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. The Egyptians finally understand the supreme power of the God, the God, or the Lord, the God of Israel. And so the Egyptians finally understand that God has got his glory over them. They will know that he is Lord. The Egyptians will know that he is Lord. They finally see it. And it's in this moment that the Lord says to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and the chariots and the horsemen. And so Moses raises his hand with the staff and the waves come crashing in. The, the imagery in the text is, is not that the waves crushed them, but that the Lord threw them. And the Egyptians were wiped out. The entire army, the chariots, the horsemen, the army, they're, they're just wiped out in the midst of the sea. And, and the text goes on to say that the Israelites, they're, they're standing on the shore and they're able to see this destruction. They're able to see these bodies and the, the broken chariots, the broken equipment, the dead horses. It's all there in front of them. They, they see their past oppressors, the, the military might of the day. They see it in front of them completely wiped out. And right before they saw that, they also saw that, that the Lord had gotten glory over them. They finally recognized that he is the Lord. And, and the text ends with something that is so amazing because it's something that we don't even realize, but it's what's happening at the end of this is, when the Israelites saw the great power that the Lord had displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. This is the first time in the story of Exodus where the people of God finally understand who God is. It isn't until they see their former enslavement, their former lives completely wiped out that they finally understand that they should fear the Lord and believe in him and believe in his servant Moses. 
And so this moment is the first moment that when the Israelites are leaving after the plagues, they, they don't yet believe, they don't yet understand the power of the Lord, but now they do. And, and the Lord didn't bring that about. He didn't say, I will make them understand, I, I, will, I will get glory, I will, the, the Israelites will know that I'm the Lord. He makes it so they see their enemies, their oppressors, understand that he is the Lord. And then the Israelites, it finally clicks. He is the Lord. He's the one who brought us out of Egypt. And so on one side of the water, you have an enslaved, brutally oppressed people group. On the other side of the water, you have the nation of God, the people of God, bought at a price by the Lord. And so there, there are a number of things we can learn from this text. One of the most important things is God fulfills his promises. There's that promise I talked about of bringing Joseph's bones out. That's an echo to the fact that God has told them that I will bring you out of this land. You'll be enslaved 400 years, and then I will bring you out to the land that I have shown you. He said that all throughout Genesis. And now in Exodus, there's another promise. Um, When Moses first told Pharaoh, and let my people go, and Pharaoh's response was no, and he brutalized the people, Moses turned back to God, and he, he went back to God, and he said, Lord, what are you doing? And Moses is ticked. He's like, I I went and did what you said, and everything's been made worse. The people are being treated even worse. They want me to leave. What are you doing? And this is God's response. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. And so we we see that God fulfills his promise. That promise earlier in Exodus leads to this moment. And the people finally realize, they finally understand what he says he'll do, he will do. But it's important to note in this that God's path is not our path. God chooses the right path and, and we may not understand it. You know, when it starts, we see the, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. God has promised them he'll get them to the promised land. And of course, he, as we saw, he took a very different route than what they would have expected. The, the imagery I would use for this is, hey, church, we're going to walk down to Chicago Beach on, along the Magnificent Mile. So uh, let's all go to Joliet and uh, then we'll come back up. Now, in Chicago, with the traffic, sometimes that may be a better way to go. But, but it's, it's not a direct route. It's a very different route. And the Israelites' response proves that his path was the right path. When they see the Egyptians and they say, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert, that would have never been better. And they were groaning out to the Lord to save them. And so when he saves them, he, he chooses this path that shows them his might. And they finally understand. They finally fear him. They finally believe in him. As I was working on this passage, I was reflecting on the fact that for Jess and I, for the last year before I got the job at Springbrook, I I graduated from seminary. Um, I I had my MDiv, and I was ready to go. I was ready to start working in a church, and I didn't have a job. And for a year, I'd apply places. We'd be praying. We we wondered what was happening, and the Lord was doing something in our hearts. He He was growing me and Jess in amazing ways. But for that year, I was discouraged. There were times where I doubted. I wondered, maybe, maybe going to seminary was a bad idea. Maybe, maybe all of this stuff that I learned, maybe it's okay, but maybe I wasn't called to ministry. Maybe, maybe this whole path that I'm on was the wrong one. And 
then I got this job, and so I, I think it worked out really well. I'm really excited to be here. But, but God chose that path, and if you would have asked me a year ago, hey, Matt, are you okay if it takes a year to get a job? Probably would have been like, no, let's get one sooner, Lord. You know, like, let's speed this process up. But it's a good process that happens. And, and I don't know what you're waiting on from the Lord. I don't know what you're waiting on in your life, but the promises of the Lord that are throughout this book He's not going to ignore them. It may not happen the exact way you think. It may not happen in the exact timing you think. The Israelites were enslaved 400 years before they were freed. That's a long time. But the Lord is going to fulfill His promises, and it's because what God orchestrates will always lead to His glory. What God orchestrates will always lead to His glory. In all of these tales in the Old Testament, in all of the New Testament, what we see from God when when Christ comes and He dies so that we can walk across and we can be with God and we can go to Him, all of that is for God's glory. And I will tell you, as the people of God, if you're a believer, if you trust in the Lord Jesus for your salvation, anything that God orchestrates that will lead to His glory is for our good. Because we're going to be satisfied by God's glory ultimately. We may not see it now. We may not understand how he's fulfilling his promises or the path that he's taking us on. But what God orchestrates will always lead to his glory. And so when we, when we look at... Oh, got more text. And So remember, when the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites, the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. That is the point where the Lord is showing them this change that has happened where the, the, the Egyptians, the enemy, now recognizes the supremacy of the Lord. And for the Israelites, that God has said, lest they see battle, they'll want to return to Egypt. Now, in the next chapter, they're going to sing a song. And in that song, they say, the nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Felicia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as stone until your people pass by, Lord, until the people you bought pass by. And so what God orchestrates will always lead to his glory. And for the people of God, when they understand what he has orchestrated, they realize how it changes things for them, and they finally understand that they can trust in him and they can follow him. And so we started with this question, what do God's past triumphs have to do with our current problems? And I'd encourage you, God has revealed his might to teach us to trust him, trust him in what's next. God's victories show us his faithfulness going forward. For the Israelite people, throughout the Old Testament, there's this phrase, I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. That happens over and over throughout the Old Testament. And it's a reminder to this moment where God bought his people from slavery and made them into a nation. And so God has revealed his might to teach us to trust him in what's next. God's victories show us his faithfulness going forward. I want to close. I'm going to, I'm going to read you. It's Exodus 15, 1 through 18. When the people finally fear the Lord and believe in him and they trust in him, they sing a song. And it's called the Song of Moses. It's actually a song that someday we're all going to sing in heaven. Um, in, in Revelation 15, it says, and they sang the song of Moses. This is a song that will echo through eternity, and we'll be singing it together someday. And so if you'd bow your heads, I'm going to read this, and that'll be our close. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. 
He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like stone. Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood firm like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall upon them. By the power of your arm, they will be still as stone. Until your people pass by, O Lord. Until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, O Lord, you made for your holy dwelling. The sanctuary, O Lord, your hands established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Amen. God's power will be made manifest in our life. And we can trust him. We can trust him with every area of our life. And so, Matt.